Thank you for the opportunity to share God's Word with you all. Uh, some say that your first sermon is either going to be your worst one, because you've got no idea what you're doing, or that it's going to be your best one, because you've had all year to prepare for it. But either way, thank you for your prayers, thank you for your messages this week, and I'm excited to be here with you all. So I'd like to start off by reading Philippians 3, 1 to 11. So if you've got your Bibles with you, feel free to open them up. Otherwise, the passage will be up here on the screen. Philippians 3, 1 to 11. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have given us another Sunday to worship you. We pray for the passage that we are about to dive into, that we can listen with open hearts and open minds, that despite our distraction, despite how our week has been, that we can spend this time together to dive into your word and find rest and joy in it. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I have been to six job interviews in my life. And one of the questions that I get asked almost every single time is, why should we hire you? So I wonder how you guys would answer it. I'm hardworking, I'm flexible, I'm very good with my time, I think on my feet. But then there are wrong answers, like, you need me more than I need you. <laughs> or even, this was the first job that called me. But what if we got asked the question, how can we be right with God? How can you be right with God? How would you answer it? I come to church every week. I don't fall asleep when the pastor's preaching. I take communion every month. What would it be? But here in Philippians 3, 
1 to 11. Paul answers the answers to these questions. Last week, we heard the message of what it means to be the church. But this week, we answer the question, what does it mean to be right with God? So just to give you a bit of context before we begin, this is a letter from Paul to the Philippian church and a church that he really, really loves. So we can see that the Philippian church was the first church that Paul started in Europe. And it's also, we can see in Acts 16 and 17, that he played a huge part in the conversion of the first Christians in that church. And Paul is writing this in prison. And he's about to be executed any day. So you can imagine. Imagine you're writing a letter for, to someone for the last time. And for those that don't do letters these days, imagine spending the last minutes with someone. So you wouldn't fluff around talking about the superficial things. You wouldn't fluff around going, hi, how are you? I'm fine and you. But you would go down to the, everything that you wanted to say because it is the last chance. So there, Paul writes this letter and said, this is my last chance to encourage and remind the church of what's important. So in this context, we see Paul continue his letter of encouragement. So we see in chapter 3, what does it mean to be right with God? And Steve tells me this all the time. Abs, you can never fail Bible college. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> and for those who have been to church for a period of time, we know this answer too. It is Jesus. And he, Paul, knows this too. But he, he gives us a warning. And Paul uses himself as an example as the wrong way of being right with God. So Paul sets the stage in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. But for the people reading this letter at that time, they would have known who Paul was talking about. So the Jews were the most holiest and religious group. The kind of people that you want to be seen hanging out with. But how ironic is it that they're called evildoers for doing good works and that we're called to watch out for them. It would have been really surprising to hear those things being said. And more so, Paul uses himself as an example. Paul was a highly regarded Jew, and he speaks of these things, not as someone who has no idea about it, but he speaks as though as someone, but he speaks as though as someone who was a Jew and someone who lived like a Jew. So if anyone had any idea about what they do, it would, be, it would have been Paul. So Paul said in verse 4, if anyone had reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So we see how Paul explains the three ways of putting confidence in the flesh. So let's read verse 5 to 6. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, 
and us for righteousness based on the law, faultless. One of the hardest things about reading the Bible in the 21st century is that it uses words that we don't do in everyday language, like tribe of Benjamin, circumcision, Hebrews, Pharisees. But as we unpack these verses, we can see and we can find the way that Paul puts confidence in the flesh. So first, we see that Paul puts confidence in his rituals, mainly the ritual of circumcision. So the act of circumcision was the badge for being one of God's chosen people. So it was something that people did to show that they were a Jew. And Paul outlines that although it was a circumcision of the flesh, it was not a circumcision of the heart. And Paul said that we as Christians are circumcised by the spirit that God puts in us. And our confidence is in Christ Jesus rather than some ritual. And not only in his ritual, but we see the second way in verse 5 to 6. The second way that Paul puts confidence in the flesh is through his ethnicity. Paul mentioned that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the favorite sons of Jacob. We see here in the Old Testament that great judges, great queens, great kings were from the tribe of Benjamin. How highly regarded he would have been to those around him. Not only was he a Jew, but he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul also said that he was the Pharisee, a Pharisee, the best of the best. So if anyone had reason to boast in their own ethnicity, it would have been Paul. And the third section is that Paul mentioned in verse 6. He was blameless, he says. Look at all the good things that I'm doing for God. So hard I work in the name of God. Look at the things that are written in the law and how well I follow them. Surely he would have been right with God by looking at these examples. If anyone had a reason to boast in the flesh, it would have been Paul. He was ritually, ethnically, and lawfully perfect. But we see the fundamental flaw of this view. And I think sometimes we do this too. Paul treated this like a job interview. To tick the right boxes, to do the right things, to have the right references. But for Paul, there was no other way of being right with God other than through Christ. Paul said here in verse 7 to 9, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss. All these things were worthless. All these things, as Paul states, was garbage. Because encountering and following Christ was all that he needed. And everything else that he was putting his faith in was a loss. But what did it mean to know Christ? Like the Bible makes all these references to know Christ, to gain Christ, to be in Christ. But what did that look like? Imagine a wedding. You do your best to put on your best clothes, to do your best hair, make sure you're not standing where you're not supposed to stand, make sure you're not late, make sure you bring a gift, make sure you're not wearing anything too white or too black. 
But none of this matters if you don't know the people getting married. Like none of this matters if you weren't personally invited by either them or their families. And none of this matters, he says. We can talk all about our achievements. We can talk all about our relationships, the way we stay on the right path. But it doesn't matter if we don't know Christ. To know and to gain Christ is knowing him personally and knowing that we are seen as righteous in God's eyes. Friends, like Paul said at the beginning of this passage, we too can rejoice. Because first and foremost, we don't need to earn our way into God's favour. We now come to the end of this passage. What does it mean to be right with God? Paul said here in verse 9, It is through a righteousness that is not our own that comes from the law, but through faith in Christ. Nothing that we earned or worked for, but given freely by God. And Paul expands this answer into three sections. The first is that we are justified. Verse 9 says that we are made right through faith in Christ. And this is the basis for what we believe in as Christians, that our salvation was paid for through Jesus' death and resurrection. And before we do anything, this should be the first steps of living out our Christian faith, knowing that we are made right through faith in Christ. And the second is that we are sanctified. Verse 10, become more like him. And that's what sanctified means, becoming more like Christ. But this is important for us to know because the order of the things is important. It's not doing good things to become more like Christ so you will be saved. But it's actually the opposite. We know that we are right with God and that's why we do good works. In other words, communion, baptism, serving at church, supporting missionaries and charities, loving our neighbours, while they're all good things, it doesn't make us more or less right with God. But it's how we express our faith and the joy that comes with it. Thirdly, is glorification. Verse 11, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That at the result of God's saving work, that we get to enjoy eternity with him. That our journey in life had an end goal that we can look forward to. So how can we respond to this passage? Firstly, we can rejoice. But before that, we need to look into our own hearts. Like Paul, before Christ, maybe we fall into the response of becoming self-righteous. Look at all the work that I'm doing for church. Look at the amount of times that I've read the Bible. God must be pleased that I'm not like those who swear and drink and dishonor their parents. Before I became a Christian nine years ago, I saw Christianity like this. Like we need to go to church every week and pray every day and work to be a good person and then 
I will be saved. While these things are good, we can see from the book of Philippians that it does not make us more or less right with God. And for some, we can fall into the other extreme and buy into this lie that maybe I'm not good enough to be right with God. I've got to fix up my life before I can let God in. I'm not as good as those people who go to church every week and who know more about the Bible than I am. I'm such a hypocrite to say that I follow Christ, but struggle with sin. Maybe we often try to do our best for God, hoping that it's good enough. Friends, both of these responses need fixing. And both of these need the reminder that our standing with God is not made better or worse by what we do. And by knowing Christ, we are able to stand before the Creator God, knowing that our sins are paid and made right through Christ's death and resurrection. So our first response should be one of joy. And secondly, we can take this message to our neighbours. Paul says, this is the gospel. Broken people cannot fix themselves. So Christ earned this righteousness for us. And that salvation is free for those who accept it. How many times have we heard our non-believing friends misunderstand what Christianity is about? That Christians are hypocrites. They're exclusive. Have we been limiting our message of our God? Have we, been limiting it? Have we been limiting it to just being a good person or a set of rules and rituals that we need to follow? Paul stresses that it's not what we do that defines us, but who we know. That our neighbours too can rejoice with us, but the only way they can hear it is if we tell them. And we all have a responsibility to share Christ's gospel to them. So to finish up this sermon, I would like to ask you again, what makes you right with God? Do we try to bring up our Christian resume and mention all the time that your performance exceeded expectations? Or do you count these at loss? We can see from Philippians 3, 1 to 11, that Paul outlines the ways that he put confidence in the flesh, his rituals, ethnicity, and laws. But all those he counts as loss. For it wasn't any of these things that made him right with God, but through knowing Christ, to whom we are justified, sanctified, and glorified. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the joy of the gospel, that we're made righteous not through our works, but through you. Thank you that we have full confidence in you and what you have done, that through Christ's death and resurrection, that we have life. Lord, we pray for our friends and family who have not met you yet. We pray for more opportunity to share the gospel with them. We also pray that we can continue to grow in our understanding and love for you, 
that our church can be a place filled with your spirit. Lord, we are sorry that sometimes we fail to honour you in our message. And sometimes we fail to be the best example to you, to our neighbours. But we pray for more grace in our lives, that we can share your word with confidence and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.